This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, hello and welcome to the program. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few minutes, Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group will join me to take your calls and talk about family law issues, and there's certainly lots to talk about, too. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Vancouver City Hall has decreed next February 2nd is the deadline for Vancouver homeowners to file their paperwork to determine if they will have to pay the city's new empty home tax, also effective next year. Estimates point to around 25,000 homes either completely empty or only occupied for part of a year. Not all of those homes will be subject to the new tax, but those who are will pay 1% of the assessed taxable value of the home, plus a $250 fine. Uh, The mayor insists this is another means to open up more rental housing in Vancouver and expects the cost of setting this up will be recovered in the first year, and that tab alone is about $7.5 million. As is always the case when dealing with any level of government, the key is simple, having all the paperwork done and submitted on time. Vancouver property owners, by the way, will begin to receive their instructions by mail this month. We also learned this week how much the new B.C. government intends to jack up the penalties for distracted driving. Right now, the first distracted driving offense costs a fine of 368 bucks plus a risk premium charge from ICBC. But under the changes we heard about this week, a second distracted driver's penalty will rise from just over 1250 bucks to almost two grand. It's all about changing behavior and driver safety, says Attorney General David Eby, and distracted driving accounts for over 25% of all accidents and more than 75 deaths in a year. Any new money raised from increased fines and penalties will be used to offset insurance premium increases in the future, which is government speak for keeping the ailing ICBC afloat. The changes have not yet been implemented. They will be soon. In the meantime, remember, even looking at your phone while stopped at an intersection will cost you big bucks. So don't do it. Here's a story we first told you about a month or so ago. Loblaws announced Wednesday a new loyalty points program that will bring together Shoppers Drug Mart Optimum Points with their PC Plus program, creating a single unified reward system. Well, we've known about that part for a while. The question always has been, how's this going to work? Well, starting next February 1st, consumers at Shoppers Drug Mart and any Loblaws store like Real Canadian Superstore will collect points under one loyalty program called PC Optimum. Members of both programs can continue to earn and redeem points as usual up until the launch of PC Optimum next year. On February 1st, points from both programs will merge at equal value as earned. Members will use one card to earn PC Optimum points across the Loblaws and Shoppers network. The app will work similar to the currency, uh, current rather PC Plus app, providing personalized offers based on the food and products you buy often. The cold snap we've had lately is good news for two BC groups, skiers and boarders, 
and ice wine makers. Several successive days of below minus eight temperatures made Okanagan vintners happy this week as they began an early grape harvest. Some years they don't get things done until December, so this year is a good early start for the season. It will still take a few weeks across the interior before the harvest is complete, and the grapes are said to be in great shape this year. For the downhill crowd, Grouse Mountain and Cypress Mountain opened yesterday. Earliest in 30 years for grouse and 33 for cypress with limited skiing of course but they're open mount seymour says we'll be open soon up the road whistler blackcomb open up in less than two weeks on the 23rd the same date for big white and silver star in Kelowna, and sun peaks and Kamloops is scheduled to go next weekend on the 18th a little closer to home manning park and sasquatch mountain resort which we used to know up until last year as hemlock valley will both open in the first week of december And here's our final story. Frequent flyers have strong opinions on this one, too. This week, the British paper The Sun ran a story from a senior flight attendant who says, if you want a little extra attention and perhaps even a little bit of special treatment, sit at the back of the plane. Annie Kingston says, sure, those people at the front get to disembark first. And yes, they may have a better chance of getting their preferred meal option, but those at the back do better. The reason, as it turns out, is simple. Visibility. Annie says, we like to avoid responding to call bells from the front of the plane. Because answering one means potentially flaunting whatever item the passenger has requested to everyone else along the way. This can cause a problem, since planes often don't have enough extra pillows or vodka or earplugs or toothbrushes or the time on shorter flights to deviate from the service schedule. But... If you're sitting at the back of the plane, it's much easier to slip in that second mini bottle of wine. Folks at the back frequently chat with flight crews, and any thinks they're more easygoing, too. So there you go, from a veteran flight attendant. And yes, there are strong opinions on both sides. Some people wouldn't sit at the back of a plane if their life depended on it. Those are some of the stories we're following this week. We'll look at a few more later in the show, and we'll have a steel report from Drex this week, too. Up next, we open up our phone lines for your calls to the senior lawyers from the Zuckerman Law Group in studio to talk about family law issues. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the program. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW on this soggy Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, and in studio across the desk from me, the senior lawyers from the Zuckerman Law Group. Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick are back with us on Vancouver Consumer. Gentlemen, nice to see you again. Welcome back. Great to be here. It's good to have you both back with us. And, Stuart, I think we should start where we usually do when you and Ron join me in studio, and that's a review of changes to the law, the family law in British Columbia, because there has been a major change, and it's still, relatively speaking, recent. It happened in 2013. That's correct. That's when the Family Law Act came in force in the place of the Family Relations Act. The biggest change in that act uh, would be the treatment of common law spouses, uh, such that common law spouses are now treated the same as married couples when it comes to property division and debt division. So if you're with a partner in a spousal-like relationship for two years or more, you are considered a common law spouse, and that common law spouse is presumed to have the the right to 50% interest in the uh, increase or appreciation in equity in, in, in your 
uh, assets and your savings and your property from the date of cohabitation to the date of separation and vice versa. The, the, the other spouse has a 50% interest in the claiming spouse's asset uh, appreciation or debt uh, increase. It's a 50-50 on debts and assets. So that was a significant change, Ron, because it, 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 before, if you weren't married, you were able to kind of dodge a few of those uh, bullets in terms of a liability and so on. And the new family act said, no, if you've been living with someone for two years or more, you are said to, in the eyes of the law, to be cohabiting to the, to replicate a marriage situation. Absolutely. that's a, That's been a sea change in the law, and it's given fairness to a lot of, uh, well, women who, frankly, who in the past, well, had to do without mm-hmm. the assistance of the law. So, Stuart, back to your point about uh, the changes to the family law as they would affect assets. So if you, uh, for example, move in with someone, and it's uh, and you and you stay together for a couple of years or more but you the person who moved in you moved into uh, say his place yes uh, so you didn't you're not on the title that's right right so then it's 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 not your asset exactly but during the time that you lived together even if you didn't do anything but maybe buy the odd bottle of milk in terms of contributing to the household nonetheless if the house has appreciated during the time that you lived there you are eligible for half of that appreciation? That, that's correct. That's the presumption at law. The starting presumption of a judge will be under the act. Um, the judge will presume that the, that the, that let's say, I'm going to use that the woman moved in with the man. So right, right. I might, I might call her the wife, even though they're not married. The presumption is that the wife or the, the girlfriend who moved in uh, has a 50% interest in the increase in equity in the home or in the condo or whatever the property is, but not only in the, in the home value and the property value, but also in the, in the husband's uh, bank account, his savings, his RRSP, his pension. Um, the 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 woman in that case, or the girlfriend, would have uh, a fifty percent interest in the increase in all of those items as well, from the date of cohabitation until the date of separation. That's the presumption at law, unless the the husband in that case can um, prove that the uh, uh, that that claim would be substantially unfair. Um, which is also a difference in the law. It used to just be uh, the court would look at unfairness uh, when varying agreements. That now it's substantial unfairness. So, so, the, but the, the starting presumption is fifty-fifty. That's the uh, that's how the court looks at it. And now, Ron, in the case where that individual, the relationship goes sideways, it's over. Uh, the and we'll use the male-female thing. So we'll use the woman who did not contribute a great deal financially to the household, uh, but is still eligible for whatever uh, appreciation occurred during the two years that, or more that they were together. How does that person who now leaves the home because the relationship is over, how does the person go about collecting their half, for lack of a better term? Well, she starts by uh, getting a lawyer, getting the, uh, the the process rolling because there's a limit to the time frame within which she can actually apply to court if they can't work it out between lawyers. What is the time mm-hmm. limit? Well, the time limit is two years. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but some people let that go, unfortunately. But the other aspect of it is uh, that it makes good sense to start the proceeding so you have something, you have a peg, if you will, to hang an order on, because in the end, you want an order. You want an order of the court uh, so that you can enforce. Sometimes, well, people will enter into a deal and try to welch. Mm-hmm. And it's less expensive to do that with a court order. Now, let's look at the flip side of that uh, situation, Stuart, and talk about debts. We're talking about positives with Ron and, and cover, recovering appreciated assets. What, though, during that same time period, what if he, 
ran up just a ton of debts on his credit card. She didn't didn't contribute to them, but they lived together while the debt was incurred. Is she therefore responsible for half of his debts? Well, the starting presumption under the Family Law Act is the same with assets and debts, and that is that that debts, just like assets, are fifty fifty. From the, the, anything that you had in the way of debt on the day before cohabitation is yours and it's excluded, but any growth in debt from the date of cohabitation to the date of separation by either spouse is presumed to be subject to a 50-50 split. Um, the, again, the, there are a lot of cases dealing with uh, claims about debt divisions where the court looks a bit more closely at the debt. If, if the evidence shows that the debt was incurred for, for example, for a drug addiction or for gambling without the knowledge of the other spouse, the court will be obviously more sympathetic in finding it to be unfair, substantially unfair to divide that debt 50-50. Sure, of course. And they may reapportion the debt to the person who incurred it. But if the debt was incurred in the ordinary course of the relationship uh, for purposes of supporting the relationship, so if it was to buy groceries, to pay for hydro and cable bills, mm-hmm. to even to buy clothing for either party during the course of their relationship. Repairs for the, the car. That repairs for the sure, car. Right. All that is presumed to be 50-50. And of course, don't forget, when you separate, it's not just the property that's subject to 50 cars, contents of the home, things that were acquired during the the relationship are also subject to 50-50. So it's not just property, it's equity in, in whatever assets either party has, to TFSAs, RRSPs, savings accounts, um, a- as well as uh, hard assets like vehicles. Our guests back with us on this edition of Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW are Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick, senior lawyers from the Zuckerman Law Group. And Zuckerman, by the way, is Z-U-K-E-R-M-A-N. No C in Zuckerman. And the website is an excellent website, ZuckermanLaw.ca. I've got lots of questions for both of our guests, but I expect you have a, a question or two yourself, listening to a couple of family lawyers offering free advice on the radio. Let's open up our phone lines. Ben Dooley producing the program. The number is 604-280-9898. Again, 604-280-9898. Your calls to Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick. And while we're loading up the phone board, student uh, Stuart, I wanted to talk to you about, you mentioned cohabitation agreements. Yes. Uh, what's the difference between a cohabitation agreement where a couple say, we're not going to get married, but we're going to sort of uh, do an outline of what we expect from each other. What's the difference between that and a prenuptial agreement? Uh, well, they're very uh, similar. Um, uh, and in fact, a cohabitation agreement can have a term in it that says that this agreement will continue in the event that we marry, in okay. which case the cohabitation is, agreement is the same as a prenuptial agreement. A prenuptial agreement is when a couple intends to marry, they can come to a, uh, a lawyer and get the lawyer to draft an agreement that says, uh, in the event that our marriage falls apart, this is how we are going to deal with our, our assets that we're bringing into the relationship, and this is how we're going to deal with the assets we acquire during our relationship. And it can also deal with future spousal support issues and things like of that nature. Okay, now, I'm sorry, Ron, I have this one for you, okay? Because, and I, I, I'm just following up on prenuptial agreements. Um, I have a daughter who is engaged, got a beautiful sparkler and a swell guy. So I try to have a dadly conversation with her about prenuptial agreements. And she says, Dad, do you have any idea how incredibly unromantic you're being right now? And I said, well, I'm, it's not my job to romance you. I'm your dad. What about a prenuptial agreement? She just wasn't interested in going there because it just wasn't terribly hearts and flowers. So what do you say to something like that, Ron? Well, I say to people like that, let your marriage be about love and be about the relationship uh, and get the money out of the way now. Uh, If you're going to split up, and well, about half of us are going to. Regrettably, that's still the case, isn't it? If you're going to split up, it's nice to know how you're going to go about it. 
and you, uh, by creating an agreement, Stuart, as you were talking about moments ago, you contribute uh, to, to the terms of the agreement. It's your agreement. So you're not going to sign anything that doesn't line up the way you want it uh, to. Uh, of course. In fact, in order for the agreement to be enforceable, both spouses have to have independent legal advice. So they, they each have their own lawyer that explains the agreement to them to make sure they both understand the agreement. And of course, they have to come to an agreement over those terms. And it's it's much preferable to have an agreement that says, you know, my my uh, condo in Whistler, um, you know, is going to remain mine even though we may use it during our marriage or or you may acquire. You can put in an agreement anything that you, that you want. So you can say that the spouse, the, the non-owning spouse can acquire an interest in property over time. You can say after five years she has a 10% interest and after seven years she has a 15% interest rather than relying on the Family Law Act, which divides everything 50-50 in terms of the growth in equity. Okay, so it's, it's a practical, it's decidedly unromantic, Ron. There's no dodging that one but it is a decidedly practical move for grown-ups to consider. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's, it, it's, it's an excellent idea to keep your relationship uh, about love and about the relationship uh, because you know going in exactly what's going to happen if you split up. You know what's going to happen on the money side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the difficulty arises in situations where uh, parties haven't turned their minds to this at all, and, and typically... Uh, as, as our society exists, it's ordinarily the man who has a good deal more assets. And sometimes, well, springs on, uh, on the woman, uh, more or less at the last moment, uh, an agreement that, uh, that he wants to use to preserve everything he's got. Mm-hmm. And she's still starry-eyed. And that's a dangerous uh, point in time. And thus, your point, Stuart, that each party has to have separate legal advice. So starry-eyed though she may be, someone's going to say, hey, wait a second, this is slanted a little against you. You might want to have a chat about clause three or something like that. It happens too much. Uh, interesting stuff. We did open our phone line, 604-280-9898. Let's take some calls. Beverly in Maple Ridge, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. I'm wondering what happened in the case of inherited assets uh, claimed by the common law person. So the, the, in the Family Law Act, there is a, a, an exclusion for inherited assets and gifts. Um, so the presumption in law is that an asset that is inherited is not subject to the 50-50 uh, split. Um, the presumption is that it's excluded from division. Yeah, that's after the, um, the common law affair has gone on for some time, and then the person inherits something. So then there's no claim to the other Awesome. Now we've changed the playing field a little bit here, haven't we, Beverly? Because you're, the first uh, notion was that someone came into the relationship with an inheritance. Now what happens, Stuart, if it's different and the inheritance occurs while the relationship is in progress before the split up? Again, the presumption is gifts and inheritances to one party are excluded from the division, whether you're common law, whether you're married. That's the starting presumption of the court. Beverly, does that help? Yes, very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Todd uh, in uh, Vancouver, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, sir, and thank you for taking my call. Okay, go ahead. Uh, um, my uh, my girlfriend has lived with me uh, for a couple of years. Uh, in this, this time, um, previous to, to us getting together, I had put a down payment on a, uh, a small home. And uh, during this time, she's she's paid nothing um, uh, towards the mortgage, uh, my mortgage payments. Uh, she's paid no hydro, um, right. uh, no no utility payments whatsoever. Um, she's really barely paid her half of the food. I mean, she hasn't even done that. Um, 
if we were to separate, does this mean she would still have a right to half of my uh, my interest in the house or half of, half of my equity? Ron, you want to take this one? I'll take it. Todd, uh, uh, what's happened to you has happened to many people in the Lower Mainland here. We've had a tremendous increase in the uh, value of real estate. And, and sorry to say, Todd, but the increase in value uh, to the property that you own that's occurred in the time frame from when you started living together in a marriage-like relationship to the time you ultimately resolve it, and that's key as well, uh, one half of that is family property uh, to her. And that's just the way the, the law is written. And because of the re- real estate realities of Metro Vancouver, it's pretty much everyone's uh, situation these days, Stuart. And, and, it, and it is important to mention that, uh, what Ron mentioned, that it's even though the law says it's from the date of cohabitation to the date of separation, it's really to the date that you resolve your claim. So if you went to court an hour, a year after your separation and your property continued to increase in that year between the date of separation and trial, typically the court will still share the growth in equity 50-50 between the parties all the way to the date of the trial. Not a, not the response you were hoping for, perhaps, Todd, but thanks for your call anyway. 604-280-9898. Our guests, Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick from the Zuckerman Law Group. More family law on Vancouver Consumer after the news. Welcome back to the program. It's Sterling Fox with you on a Saturday afternoon, a cool, soggy 8 degrees in downtown Vancouver. It's 2.34. In studio today, the senior lawyers from the Zuckerman Law Group, Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick, are here to talk about family law issues. And, Stuart, let's talk about the firm. First of all, you have offices, the main offices in Surrey, in the Panorama Ridge area. That's correct. But you have a satellite office just a few blocks from here in Yaletown. That's correct. So we can see people at either office, and if people need to see a lawyer after hours... Uh, at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock at night because they work from 9 to 5. We can do that in our Surrey office. Um, and uh, uh, we see people, we provide free consultations to people in either the Surrey or the Yaletown office. I wanted to ask you also about, because your radio commercial here on NW includes the line, don't just worry about your legal problems, get answers for free. Now, lawyers don't make a lot of money when they when they do things for free. Explain, please, Stuart. Uh, well, we do provide, our firm does provide uh, free initial consultations. It's, it's generally a half-hour consultation at no charge. Sometimes it goes over a half hour, but the, the general idea is that people should be able to uh, uh, understand their rights and their obligations arising from their relationship and its breakdown uh, by coming to see a lawyer and getting legal advice. And, and we, we encourage people to, uh, to call us and book a consultation and ask their questions and, and find out about what their rights and their obligations are in the event of their breakup. So they're not just relying on what their friends tell them or their girlfriends tell them uh, the law is. They get it straight from a lawyer and they have a, a good understanding for free of uh, what their rights are. And in that meeting, we can also tell them what it will cost them yes. uh, if they decide that they want to make a claim and what it costs to start a claim, uh, how we anticipate the the claim going what at different stages, what the costs are at different stages, how we can negotiate. We can talk about mediation, collaborative law, uh, all those th- uh, options uh, to avoid court uh, in order to settle things because it is very expensive ultimately to go to court and have a trial. But 95% of cases settle without ever going to trial. Uh, so th- that's what we work on, uh, negotiation and settlement um, and uh, and working things out for people prior to uh, to ever going to the stage of a of a court hearing. I've identified our guests uh, on the program a couple of times, friends, as the senior lawyers from the Zuckerman Law Group. Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick, between them, have almost fifty years, uh, over fifty yes. years, in fact, of uh, legal experience. And Ron, you you mentioned a couple of times. I've given you a couple of what if scenarios, and your first answer is always, "Well, the person should see a lawyer." 
Because as Stuart just pointed out a few minutes ago, when when these family breakups occur, it's a terribly emotional time. People are very, very vulnerable. And a lot of times you're just sort of almost bouncing off the walls. You, your whole world has been turned upside down. And so you need some advice. You need a sense of where you are. Uh, where, what, what your future could look like, what your rights are, and perhaps your sister-in-law who went through a divorce five years ago isn't the best source of legal advice in that vulnerable moment. Well, that's absolutely uh, right, Sterling. So many times we have people come into our offices who've tried to do things on their own, and they've tried to do it with the uh, the help and assistance of Aunt Sally or, uh, uh, or or their sister or sister-in-law who happens to be against the husband who just left them, and mm-hmm. so on and so on and so on. And what happens too many times once litigation is underway is that family members are telling them they're trying to be supportive naturally of course they're telling them that's his offer don't settle for that uh with no legal understanding with no understanding of the cost now if these people were going to be putting up the legal fees that's a different matter but they typically aren't they're putting up the advice and not the dollars right so the point i'm trying to make is uh, whether it's us or whether you've got another family lawyer do listen first to your family lawyer right exactly let's uh, take some more phone calls here and thank you fred for waiting in vancouver go ahead please uh hi i have a question about uh, parenting time so i'll give a quick uh um, some information about what, what is going on. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was arrested at my house. Um, I had a verbal argument with my wife, and um, the police showed up, and I was arrested, and I'm charged with assault now. Um, since that time, my wife has uh, taken our two-year-old son from our house and uh, moved out, and I've been served recently. I was served with... Uh, Notice a family claim um, stating that my wife wants sole custody of our son. And uh, I've also been served with um, papers uh, stating that there's a, a restraining order against me and I can't contact my wife and my son. So I'm just wondering, what can I do? Is she going to get sole custody? Um, and there's a trial coming up for my uh, assault charges that I'm denying all the charges against me. I've never assaulted her. We had a verbal argument. Right. And she claims that I'm abusive and I can't see my son. Well, uh, Stuart, this is not the first time you've heard this, but it's definitely a tangled web. Um, yes, it's uh, it's uh, it's something that comes up uh, quite often. Um, uh, these allegations of uh, violence or allegations of uh, of uh, abuse, um, and you, then using that to uh, prevent contact with uh, with a child. Um, certainly, the Family Law Act, when it was revised in 2013, incorporated certain terms about family violence. So the court is obligated to consider um, any uh, aspects of family violence when considering custody. Claims. So if the child was exposed to violence between the parties, that may have an impact on parenting time. But in the absence of that, if the child was never the subject of abuse and was not a witness to um, significant violence, um, then typically the the starting point for the court is that the uh, that the what's in the best interest of the children has maximum contact with both of its parents, um, and both parents are presumed to be entitled to uh, parenting time. So in your case, for the caller, first of all, I would say uh, make sure that you get legal advice or hire a criminal lawyer to deal with your... I was going to say, you don't go your, into that courtroom yeah. un, uh, undefended. Yes, yeah, so especially in a criminal... Um, it's going to have a huge impact on your career, on your future, on your
your personal uh, fr- liberty. So get a lawyer for the uh, criminal matter to get uh, give you criminal legal advice. Uh, and on the family law front, uh, you, you you ought to bring an application to set aside the restraining order with respect to contact with your your son and apply for parenting time. And the likelihood is um, that you would be granted parenting time uh, with your child. And it is possible to even have 50-50 parenting time uh, granted from the outset. It depends on what the status quo was up until the date of separation. So if the court hears that, you know, if, if the caller was a um, somebody who was a uh, the worker who left the home at 8 o'clock in the morning and came home at 6 o'clock at night um, and only saw the child at night during weeknights and then maybe played with the child on the weekends or spent time with the child on the weekends, um, then the, the, the caller might have a more restrictive parenting sure, schedule. Sure, of course, yeah. But, uh, but if, the, if the evidence is that the two parties equally cared for the child prior to the separation, they were both involved one, one day a week, one party took him to day and the other party the other day and they both prepared meals and they both bathed the child and if they're both equally involved in childcare up until the separation the starting point for the court would be to restore that kind of a relationship to give a something close to a 50-50 arrangement between the both uh, the mother and the father and the child so Fred there you go with some good uh, solid legal advice and for goodness sake don't ignore the most important bit of that advice which is do not go into court to defend yourself on a on an assault case because this has implications in terms of your access to your child down the road do not defend yourself got it thank thank you i have a criminal lawyer excellent good choice and uh, zuckermanlaw.ca is where you can find our guests today fred uh, stewart and ron uh zuckermanlaw z-u-k-e-r zuckermanlaw.ca thanks for your call and good luck in court dave a good uh, day to you hello yes hello yes it's uh gator yes dave yeah, my question uh, that I had is pertaining to um, uh, spousal support. Uh, just a bit of a history. Been married uh, thirty-one years. My wife, ex-wife, now left the household uh, a little over two years ago. Requested that we sell the home, which we did. Put it on the market and sold. She's taken uh, one hundred and fifty thousand off the proceeds of the sale of the home. I took one hundred and fifty thousand. Um, she has various RRSPs, fifty thousand plus uh, in RRSPs. Uh, can I interrupt you, Dave? Just, just it's you each took one hundred and fifty k from the proceeds of the sale of the home. Is the balance of the proceeds in escrow somewhere? Uh, with her lawyer, okay, at her, at her lawyer's office, um, okay, and that's not going to be uh, divided until such time as we have a an order of separation. Now, just recently in the past uh, week. Um, my wife has uh, notified me that she's willing to um, negotiate by uh, saying or requesting a beneficiary to my pension. I have a pension plan for the last 30-some years. She also wants um, uh, a spousal support for the last two years of $35,000 in cash. I can raise that. Plus, uh, uh, naturally, she wants half my pension. So she's... the. the Big things: beneficiary, half pension, and spousal support. Those are the major issues, and I'm questioning whether I have to um, pay the spousal support. The other items that she's requesting, I have no issue. Beneficiary, no okay. problem, or uh, half of my pension. It's no no uh, issue. Can I just uh, can I just ask you what is your income and what is her income? Uh, my my income is uh, eighty eight thousand. Hers is seventy. 
So the, yeah. the the way spousal support works is it's based on the differential in your in each of your annual income. So um, the, on, there's something called the spousal support advisory guidelines. Uh, they they have three ranges in them: a low, a medium, and a high. Typically, once a marriage gets to about fifteen to twenty years, you tend to be in the high range. That's how the court tends to treat it. And the high range is two percent of the difference in your incomes times the number of years that you're together up to 25 years. So once you're 25 years married or more, there's a presumption of a 50% interest in the difference in your annual, annual income. So if her income is 70 and yours is 18, yeah. her in, her presumptive entitlement is 9,000 a year because it's half of the $18,000 ah, difference right. between. So if you take 9,000 and divide it by 12, you'll have your monthly amount of spousal support. That's taxable in her hands. It's tax deductible to you. So she has a relatively small spousal support claim of $9,000 uh, a, a year going forward yeah. until you retire. Um, yeah. So, and and if you do lump sum spousal support, if you pay a lump sum of thirty five thousand, you don't get to deduct that for tax purposes, and she doesn't have to claim it as income. So that, under, that, yes. that number one, sounds high to me. Um, yeah, the one one uh, caveat I, I forgot to mention. I'm sorry about this, but uh, she's on a uh, a medical plan now. She's currently fully employed, but she's on uh, off on a medical plan that's paying her approximately forty thousand. Okay, I, I mean the issue there is that some medical plans that forty thousand with disability income sometimes is non-taxable, so it's almost the same as earning about sixty or sixty-five thousand. Right. In which case, your differential is slightly higher than we just talked about. In other cases, that that, yeah. that disability income or medical benefits income is completely taxable, and that's her total income. So if her income has dropped to forty thousand, then and yours is eighty or eighty-eight, uh, then the, the you, now you have a forty-eight thousand dollar differential, and her entitlement would be twenty-four thousand a year or two thousand a, a month. month right. In which case a $35,000 lump sum payment is a great deal to get out of because it's it's going to be lifetime spousal support for the caller because once you're over there's something called the rule of 65 if her age at the date of separation yes. um, uh, a, a plus the number of years that you've been cohabiting exceeds 65 then her presumption is that the legal presumption is she's entitled to lifetime spousal support which means until you retire and then once she gets half your pension and you've got half your pension your incomes will be the same anyway so, um, so she has an entitlement to lifetime spousal support and if you can get out of it for thirty-five thousand, when her income is currently only forty, that's probably not a bad deal. Appreciate that. That's uh, I, I thought I it was uh, I thought it was bad news when I first got it, but now listening to you, it seems to be a better news. Okay, well, news. Ron wants to just add something here to this uh, conversation. Yes. So don't hang up quite yet, Dave. Go ahead, Ron, please. You've got some facts that make your case in many respects uh, pretty black and white. You should get in to see a lawyer, whether it's us or somebody else. Get in to see a lawyer. Get it done right. Otherwise, you're going to be back in a year saying, now that I've looked at this and had some yeah. settlers regret, I, th- I think I've done it all wrong. Or your wife may be saying that. Get into a lawyer. It's very important. But like I said, uh, you have some – you've eliminated a lot of doubt here just by yeah. the v- virtue of being married for 31 years. I see. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's appreciative. And um, I, I think what I'll, I'll do is, yeah, I, I will settle in that, that, mm-hmm. that case as far as paying the 35000 and get it drawn up. All right. Property. Well, Appreciate make sure you that. have legal advice before you settle. That's the key that we're that we're giving you. Don't rely on on the advice we're giving you in the on the radio because we don't have all the details. It's best to speak with the lawyer directly. That's right. All right then. Thank you, Dave. Thank you and so by the much. way, the, the website and check it out. These guys are know what they're talking about. You, you've obviously uh, taken advantage of their advice so far, and it's been good. Zuckermanlaw.ca. Stuart's last name is spelled Z-U-K-E-R-M-A-N. Zuckermanlaw.ca. Interesting phone call. So here's my dumb question of the day. It's my show. I get one. What's the difference between spousal support and alimony? No difference. 
Oh, it is. It's the same thing. Alimony. So is alimony, is that an American term? Is that, is that what they award in the States? Or is that just an old Canadian term? I think alimony uh, has been used uh, as the term in, uh, in the U.K. and uh, in the U.S. And uh, I think spousal support really Or maintenance, comes, spousal yeah, maintenance. Spousal okay. maintenance uh, comes from our Divorce Act uh, originally, but they're exactly the same thing. Okay. And in terms of determining the spousal support, the amounts of spousal support, they have formulas. The courts use a, 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 a tried and true formula, don't they, Stuart? So, so since 1997, there's been something called the Spousal Support Advisory Guidelines. They're not 100% binding on the court. They're advisory. But our Court of Appeal has said if a, if a judge makes a finding of spousal support outside of the guidelines, that may be a judicial error unless the judge gives a reason. But I should explain um, that don't just rely on – if you, you can go online to the spousal support support guideline and punch in incomes and years of cohabitation. And get a, a and, get, and get a number. Yeah. But there are circumstances where that doesn't work. So I, I had a case where the marriage, the husband and wife got married. They went on their honeymoon. They returned home and moved in with the father, with the husband's mother and father. Um, and on the 11th day of marriage, an argument occurred between the wife uh, and her mother-in-law. The new mother-in-law? Uh, the, and the mother-in-law kicked out the wife out of the home and told, uh -oh. her, told her son to file for divorce. And her son, like a good boy, filed for divorce. Oh, no. Um, and the, the, the wife had left her career in California and come to, to Surrey uh, to live with the husband. Um, and uh, uh, the husband's uh, lawyer in court said, you know, when, I, when we claimed spousal support, said, look, the guideline amount, because it's only an 11-day marriage, the guideline amount was zero because the cohabitation was so short. Right, right. And he offered 50 bucks a month and said, that's more than the guideline amount. And, and um, you know, I argued that the wife obviously needed money for rent, needed money for groceries. They also argued she, she completely she, turned her life around. Yeah, they, they argued she should go back to California and, and resume her career. And we said she's moved and she's here and she suffered a, uh, a loss. And we did convince the court to order spousal support significantly higher than the guideline. We got, got about 1000 bucks a month in that case because the husband only earned about 32000 a year. So he couldn't afford much more than that. But still... Um, a significant amount of spousal support uh, based on the husband's income, uh, despite what the guidelines said. So there are ex ex exemptions and exclusions to the guidelines, which is why you need legal advice rather right. than just doing it on your own on a computer. Yeah, going to a template on, on, the, on the internet, Ron, is one thing to get, a, get an idea of what it might cost were things to be in a perfect world. But each situation is unique. And there, as Stuart said, the, the, the list of exemptions and exceptions is pretty long. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a case some years ago ago where at the uh, the time of separation the wife was finishing uh, med school uh, the, the husband only made about 70 or 80 thousand dollars a year he had to in the end he had to pay her spousal support for uh, for a good year while she looked for a job and of course it ended once she found a job and guess what that job paid three hundred thousand dollars right, a year of course <clears throat> But it's a little matter of getting to that job, right? Absolutely. Now, when they determine awards in money, Stuart, for children, for because spousal support is one category, yep. and then there's the support of, of, of financial support of the children. Right. Is there a similar template that the courts use? There is, and there's much less discretion in that regard. So there's something called the child support guidelines. They're federal guidelines, uh, and each province has their own uh, uh, table. Uh, and you can look this up online uh, and punch in each party's income and how many children there are, and the, the guidelines will give you the child support amount and uh, the judges have 
very little discretion uh, on that. There is some uh, something called undue uh, hardship where a person who claims they can't afford the table amount can make a claim uh, or defend themselves saying they shouldn't have to pay the full table amount, but it's very exceptional circumstances when the court will uh, uh, award uh, child support less than the guidelines. Okay. And it's, and again, uh, all of this information is available online, and we, we like to, we pride ourselves in being uh, informed internet explorer types, but you know, that's, it's, it's great we have a sort of an overarching general knowledge, but that isn't uh, terribly useful when it comes to a s- specific applications. Uh, absolutely. I mean, people, may, you, I, I think I mentioned the last time I was on the air, the uh, case called Farden and Farden, where the, you know, the, 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 the 19-year-old was going to, uh, to school, and the husband, if he hadn't got legal advice and just followed the guidelines, he would have been forced to pay uh, his amount. But because of the circumstances in that case, we managed to go to court, and, and he wasn't ordered to pay child support at all because the child had cut off the relationship with the father and, and, and ha- wasn't providing information about what he was doing in school and what his grades were. So there are circumstances where you fall outside the guidelines, um, but j- many ca- most cases fall in the guidelines. But getting legal advice in your particular c- circumstances is the best way to know whether you you're stuck with the guidelines or not. Absolutely, as the ad says, don't just worry about your legal problems. Get answers for free. One of the many services provided by the good folks at the Zuckerman Law Group. You can contact them at six zero four five seven five fifty four sixty four. And if you didn't get a chance to jot that down, just go to the website Zuckerman Law. Z-U-K-E-R-M-A-N, ZuckermanLaw.ca. Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick, great to have you back in the studio, gentlemen. Always a a real fast-moving program. We appreciate it very much and look forward to having you back with us soon. Great to be back. We look forward to coming back again. And we're back after this break. And once again, our thanks to Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group for another informative visit. And thanks for your calls, too. Next week, we'll have a visit from the world-class dentists at BC Perio. It's time now for the Steel Report. And today, Drex is in the chair with some advice on taking care of your iPhone 10. Hi, I'm Drex, and this is your Steel Report. The new iPhone X costs more than a grand, and if you're putting down that kind of cash, you want to make sure it doesn't break, even if you drop it. Vanessa Hand Aralana of CBS has some ideas on how to be smart with your new smartphone. First off, you need a good case. Otterbox, Spec, and Mouse are just some case manufacturers that offer rugged cases that'll hold up to just about any fall. Even the best case won't take care of the screen. Screen protectors add an extra layer of protection to the surface that needs it the most. When looking at a screen cover, tempered glass is the most resilient. And for when all else fails, you need a good insurance plan iPhone users can buy Apple Care Plus insurance. Galaxy owners can try Samsung's premium care plan. This should be enough to keep your smartphone in tip-top shape until you want to upgrade. I'm Drex, and that's your Steel Report. Drex, uh, Steel and Drex, actually, weekday afternoons 2 to 6 on News Talk 980 CKNW. We talked about the snow conditions earlier, but here's a reminder from Grouse Mountain. The rink is open. Yes, the 8,000-square-foot mountaintop skating pond is open again, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. daily. Pass holders can use it for free. Otherwise, the lift ticket includes access to the pond. Bring your own skates or rent a pair up top. And it won't be long before the rink that's a bit easier for many of us to get to opens up, too. Skating begins downtown at Robson Square on December 1st. And the official ball for World Cup 2018 was revealed by FIFA on Thursday. This one is called Telstar 2018 from Adidas, and it's similar to the original Telstar design from the 60s and 70s. Lionel Messi was the star of the reveal in Moscow on Thursday. The ball will be used in upcoming friendlies as we head to World Cup next summer in Russia. And that is our show for this week. 
Once again, our thanks to the Zuckerman Law Group for another terrific visit, and thanks for your calls, too. Ben Dooley produces this show. Amir Ali is at the controls. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.